Kevin Richard. Well, it's been a challenging summer for school trustees all across the state, and the Boise School District is a prime example. On July 12th, coronavirus case numbers were slowing down in Boise and across the state, so trustees met and decided to lift the district's mask mandate for schools. Fast forward to August 3rd. Coronavirus case numbers rebounded due to a, a surge from the Delta variant, and trustees reconvened and reinstated that mask requirement for fall semester. To talk about how trustees navigated that process and the other issues facing the Boise District, I sat down with two trustees this week, Maria Greeley, a veteran of the school board, and Andy Haas, a Boise attorney who was just appointed to the board in April. Here's our conversation. Well, I want to thank you both for taking the time to talk about your summer and the fall. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the process that you've been through as trustees and, and as a school board going from lifting a mask requirement to bringing a mask requirement back in. Walk us through that. Well, I can, and again, uh, thanks for, for being here and giving us opportunity as trustees to talk about some of these issues, because I think it's important that um, patrons know about our process and what was going through our mind. So um, I'm, I'm kind of the rookie here. So I, I have a perspective, and Maria will have a different perspective, I'm sure. I was appointed in, in April. But um, as far as the process for this year, for the 2019 COVID plan for the 2021 school year, um, that initial plan was presented to the board for recommendation by the administration on July 12th. And at the time, uh, on July 12th, the, the uh, COVID spread was quite yeah. low. So it's a different world. We all know we were in a different yeah. place <laughs> a few months ago. Different world. And so, um, and, and, and so on that plan, it was, it was important, as it is today, is to really focus on what can we do as a district to make sure that our students have the opportunity to have in-class learning for five days a week. And so that was the overall goal of, of the plan. And so the plan that was presented, um, I, I liked because it, it considered a number of, uh, number of factors. Uh, but one of the biggest factors that I, uh, that I liked about the plan is it, it had some flexibility. So in other words, it clearly contemplated um, that in the event that things it's change, yeah, things change that we could quickly pivot and uh, consider additional COVID mitigation strategies. And in fact, that's kind of where we are today. So the plan itself was, um, in, in, in my mind, was a result of two things. One is I talked about the flexibility and a lot of stakeholder input. And that includes stakeholder input from not only parents, uh, but uh, our health partners, uh, the administration, and uh, areas from facilities to health, safety, and transportation. And so um, that, you know, you consider all that uh, on the table, and, and so in my mind it, it made sense, and so that's why I was supportive of the, of the original plan. And so um, we did receive a lot of input, and that was one of the factors, parent input that is. In fact, we had a survey that was done even earlier in June when things were even a little less um, a concern for community spread that the, the parents and staff in a survey indicated that 60% um, that um, said we'd love the board to consider and continue to monitor throughout the entire school year and consider additional mitigation strategies 
which included specifically masking. Mm -hmm. And Marie, you've been through this from yes. the beginning of the pandemic, <laughs> yeah. the, the, the back and forth that you've had to do as a, as a board. How have you approached that from a decision-making, from a policy-making perspective? Well, one thing that I'd add that for starting this year was we already had in place a lot of the work that got done last year, which was starting off with the distancing, the hand sanitizing, all those things that were being figured out last year. We already knew we were making, we knew how to work with the classrooms. Those things were already in place. Um, so that was, that helped a lot just kind of moving forward when the administration brought their plan to us. Um, and then I was really hopeful at that point, too, um, that we would be able to go into the school year having it look a little bit more like we're still in a pandemic, but a little less than what we had been seeing last year. Um, and then everything kind of changed after, after the beginning of July, as we all know. What kind of feedback have you both been hearing since the decision in August to, to go back to masks? Um, we've gotten a lot of emails and read all of them. And um, there are definitely parents that are against masks, but we've gotten more positive emails um, from parents and staff saying, thank you for creating the safest environment possible for our students and staff. I'd say that's the majority of it now, are the, th are the thank you. Yeah, I would agree. So going forward, we don't know how much more uh, more serious the Delta variant may turn out to right. be. We don't know how long this spike may take place. How do you approach the decision-making process that might be uh, awaiting you in terms of rolling back restrictions or going further restrictions? You know, that's a, that's a really good question, Kevin, and that's one of the things that we were challenged with all of last year and this year, which was, if we're going to do this mask mandate, how do you lift it? How do you change it? And we've, we had a lot of parents last year asking us for a matrix, and I remember wanting a matrix, too, and even talking to our um, medical consultants about it. And there really was none. It was watching all of the different factors in the community and in our, you know, in the age groups and seeing kind of we're really watching, uh, we're getting information from our medical consultants about the numbers of children getting sick now. And so really making decisions moving forward as we take into consideration um, the authorities that we are looking to for guidance um, and then the administration comes to us with recommendations based on all of that yeah i think that's a good point Maria. and i think i think it's already the plan itself has already shown its flexibility and so in july we adopted this plan that um, had had uh, mitigation measures that included hand washing and sanitation and those type of things as the spread went up the plan itself um, contemplated that additional mitigation measures could be considered, and that's exactly what ha happened in, on August 3rd when uh, we considered the additional mitigation uh, strategy for COVID, which included starting masking in, in the year. So. But I mean, to your point of that, that a matrix, I mean, you can't really draw up a matrix for something that is this unknown. I mean, Absolutely. We're dealing with a variant we hadn't heard of a couple of months ago. And it keeps changing. And that's what's interesting about this is the new person around is, uh, you know, you quickly understand that there's no playbook to manage a pandemic. And 
uh, why we would, you know, while we'll, it was great, you know, to think maybe at the beginning of the year that we'd have very minimal mitigation strategies, um, we very much realized the reality is, is that we're going to have to continue to deal with the pandemic and to manage it as we go forward. But what has really, I think, saved us, I think, or helped us, which is really the beacon is our strategic plan. Yeah. And our strategic plan provides that uh, one of the goal four, which is to provide a safe environment for our students. And specifically, strategy four of that is to provide an appropriate safe environment for our students. And so you have to really step back and think what is appropriate. And that's part of the decision-making process, what is appropriate, and that included input from the stakeholders and working with our health partners on what is appropriate. As we move forward with the overall goal, that we give students the opportunity to be in class, which, which is the best opportunity to learn for most students. Andy makes a good point about that. And we really use our strategic plan as our guiding document. Um, when, when I was going into the August special meeting, um, that was one of the things looking at whether, you know, you're talking about equitable access to education and a high quality education. The bottom line is we want our students in the classroom in front of their teacher five days a week you know, amongst their peers. And that's all parts of that. And, and the safety of our students and staff is all part of our strategic plan. And that is what we really look at those pieces as we're guiding, as guiding us while we're going through the process of deciding what to do next. This isn't to suggest that anything is easy here, because it obviously it's not. But you're in the second year of this. Uh, compare it maybe to that first year where you're you're not only trying to figure out what to do with in-person learning, you're launching an online school for 4,000 yes. kids. That's a school district. Yes. I was reflecting back on that. Um, and I, I remember a Saturday walking into this building and seeing the team all in here trying to staff, just staffing because all of a sudden we're doing an online school, you know, for 4,000 students. And then you're also trying to get devices to every student and hotspots out and and at the time, I don't recall right then what we knew funding was coming in. And it was so, it was just, I remember it was a very challenging start to the year, but we knew um, we just had to kind of move forward and um, it, it was intense, that's for sure. But I think the um, administration did a phenomenal job of, and of the teachers, the staff, and the principals of reaching out to families and um, Gosh, food services, keeping food going all along for families. Um, it was it was a really impressive operation, but it was by no means a simple operation. But at least we yeah. have that in place, right? That and I look at what was last year versus this year, we have all that experience from last year and and already have the devices and, and the hotspots and all that's figured out. And I would like to add, too, I have kind of a slightly different perspective. I had uh, a daughter who was a senior last year at Boise High School. And so as a parent, I was really impressed with wh what uh, the administration did and teachers and um, about uh, sticking to the, to the strategic plan. And I just thought it was really incredible. I know the trustees had about 45 meetings yeah, over that period of time, and they did a really good job on communicating with parents. But I thought it was just amazing that we were able to end the school year with nine weeks in class. Yeah. And my daughter was able to go to prom. And that is a testament of how hard the administration worked and how Absolutely. hard the teachers worked and parents. Um, and so my perspective is a, is a little different than that. Of course, at the high school graduations uh, that we were able to go, the one word that we he heard all the time was resilience. Yeah. 
and the word that I hear now um, is enthusiasm. And I had a chance to go to 11 schools for the first day of school just to go in and pop in and see what the atmosphere was like. I went to two high schools, uh, two junior highs, seven elementary schools. You really made the rounds. I made the rounds. I was Uber driver, school board member. But what I saw there, Kevin, was really amazing, especially in the grade schools, uh, parents with signs, with balloons, teachers and principals out front greeting their students, our teachers excited. Um, and so that's one thing that I kind of observed from last year from like, okay, we got to dig in and take care of each other and be resilient to, we know that there's a pandemic and we're going to have to continue to manage it but we're excited for the year and we're excited to be in class. And that's why I think we need to, we, teachers, parents, students, all of us need to live by one of our virtues, which is teamwork. And teamwork is let's continue to practice the mitigation measures that, we're, that we have in place, which our reports are from schools that everyone is practicing the mitigation mm -hmm. measures so that we can continue to have the opportunity to be in class five days a week. Well, and I'd also say that after last year and having the experiences of restart, starting school five times, having hybrid, having you know a remote, um, that was it was so important to us that we have the students at, in the classrooms. I mean, that was so tough for the for the, the the students to be isolated, for the parents that were home with the students, and for our staff trying to, to, to educate students at home. And um, so that I think was the biggest difference this year was doing everything we can to get our students in the classroom five days a week. I want to ask you both about the staffing challenges that you're facing right now. And, and it's not just a, a, a teacher shortage, it's also a challenge of trying to get uh, classified staff on board. How have you been approaching that in this, this labor market where you know, a lot of employers are having a tough time finding people and keeping people? Well, again, a lot of that's operational. That's mm -hmm. That falls sure. to the yeah. administration. Um, and we've been talking about this for a while, that there's been, we're seeing this all over the Treasure Valley, that there's just kind of that, the challenge of hiring um, do you have anything to add with that? Yeah, I mean, just across the board, I don't think uh, there's COVID doesn't discriminate from one industry to the other, and so we're mm -hmm. not immune from that. So as I understand and getting reports from the administration, we've had challenges on filling positions in food service, custodial yeah. facilities, and operation management. And so there are some challenges, and uh, we're working through those. I know one of the challenges kind of hit home a little bit <laughs> the last couple of weeks was our busing situation. Right, right. Yeah. That's a good example. Um, um, so as I, I wasn't and around, something parents notice right away. Yeah, right. On the bus <laughs> right. And their child's getting home late. From yeah. School. I mean, that's, right. uh, that's an impact. And I'll let Maria talk about this because she uh, was there and dealing with the new contract the, uh, with Durham Transportation. But um, as I understand and getting reports from the administration, Durham is fully staffed and equipped to do this, but they had absences over the last two weeks of which it was because of COVID. And so that's a challenge in itself. So um, I think we had about a 20% uh, rate of, of, of being late. And so we're trying to adjust to that, but maybe you can talk a little bit more on that. Absolutely, the, the first day of school, 
the administration just reached out to us to let us know what was going on, um, let us know that the start of school went so smoothly in the classrooms, you know, in the schools, that that went really, really well, but that there was a, the, the issue with the busing. Um, so I was on the, the uh, facilities committee when we changed the contract. And one of the things that the administration was very pleased about with Durham was they'd have people here. It was going to be more local. And so one of the pieces that um, was shared with us was that, yes, they, they had a shortage, but Durham was responding immediately. And Durham was doing a great job of communicating with the administration and working on it to really improve it. So, and that was partially why we ended up going with Durham to begin with. So there's some positives. They're moving, they're moving in the right direction with that, but everyone's being impacted by COVID and absences. And um, just, we need, we need that part to run smoothly for our students. As policymakers, how do you view the student experience right now, the, the learning loss and the learning gaps that we know have occurred during the pandemic? And I know a lot of that's an operational issue, but right. what do you watch for as trustees? What do you watch for as policymakers to determine how students are doing and what maybe needs to be done to address some of the gaps? Well, right now, they're, they're doing the testing. Um, there's, they've been starting assessment testing. Um, and so that will give us kind of that first look at uh, the results from the testing. Um, that's something that I'm really excited to see this, how this helps our students is um, with some of the ESSER funds, the administration hired a teaching and learning specialist and she is working with all of the schools on really helping strategies, um, trainings for our teachers so that they can really focus in on what specific areas for the students. So it's not just one big, let's say we're not looking at one big area or one gap to fill, it's what gaps do it, does each student have and what opportunities for learning can, can we give them. And so, I mean, that's a really important piece to me of the three-year ESSER funds that we have is that we have this position that's gonna really put a lot of time and energy into training our, our teachers and, and meeting those students' needs. Yeah, and I, I think the, strong, the greatest opportunities is the ability to have in-class learning. Yeah. So teachers have the best uh, opportunity to build relationships with students and can identify uh, areas where there needs to be some lost learning recovery. Um, and so I think that's that's critical to that. I know that the ISAT scores came down. Um, that's uh, administration, as I understand, is sorting through those. But the take back that I understand from talking to the administration um, that both math and, and English um, are, are higher than the rest of the state as far as proficient or advanced. And against all this backdrop, you know, pandemic, staffing challenges, student learning loss challenges, the Boise district was in the eye of the storm of the uh, indoctrination debate earlier this summer. I mean, you, you had members of the group, you know, kind of single out the Boise school district and, and, you know, file a records request. As trustees, how did you, what was your reaction to all of that and, and maybe to the whole larger debate about about indoctrination in schools? Well, I, um, yeah, first of all, it, uh, our, the district's position has been clear about the indoctrination committee. Um, and there was, in fact, you've acknowledged a FOIA request, and we've complied with that, and we consider the matter closed. 
I think my perspective is more, I guess, as a, as a parent, I had a daughter that I mentioned just graduated, and the Boise School District is a district that's primary focus is to produce students that are prepared for college career and to be great citizens and they can go out and contribute and come back to the community. Um, and so we have a curriculum that that is very ambitious in making sure our students are prepared for college and citizenship and career. And so part of that is, part of our core value is, is trust. And so we trust our teachers. We trust our teachers to make sure our students are prepared. And that includes um, their, you know, teachers' abilities to use a variety of materials in order to uh, do the best they can so they are prepared for career, citizenship, and college. And so from my perspective, I absolutely trust the, the process. I trust our teachers to do that. Um, now, that said, absolutely, if, if a parent or a, uh, a student has an issue with a, a curriculum, they can request that they not participate in it. I think, to me, the timing of the task force was so demoralizing for our, our teachers. Um, when they were, they did such an amazing job last year of not just educating our students in whichever form they had to at the time, um, but really reaching out and checking on the emotional safety, physical safety of students. There's so many stories of even principals and teachers going to check on them and have eyes on them to make sure that they were safe when they were remote. I think that was one of the most demoralizing things to me is, is right on the heels of an extremely challenging year where our teachers were just amazing then to get this where it's it's questioning what the, the you know the highly qualified teachers that we have and what they're doing that was that was a tough one that was a tough part i mean the, the tension between the state house and boise school district i mean it, it's been there before yes, i mean yes. there's the whole you know great state of data thing that we've, mm -hmm. we've heard so many times but the timing of this was what really yeah really jumped out at you so one last question, and I guess kind of a big picture question. I mean, if resiliency was the watchword for this past school year, what's the watchword going to be this year? I think you said it. I think enthusiasm, yeah. and can I add two? Yeah. <laughs> enthusiasm <laughs> sure. and, and, and diligence. And diligence, diligence and, is a great one. And making sure that we are all on the same page that we use, uh, that we're, you know, part of our um, values, core values is responsibility. So mm -hmm. being responsible. Uh, and using teamwork to really follow the mitigation measures that we have in place, which could change, yes. uh, to make sure the COVID doesn't spread so we can give our kids the best opportunity to have in-class learning five days a week. Yeah. Enthusiasm, diligence, I mean. Oh, I think you hit it. I think the responsibility and enthusiasm are, are key for this right now is, is I'm just going to reiterate the same thing. It's it's we have to be with, responsible with our behaviors and um, and get through this so that we can have our students five days a week in class in front of their teachers amongst their peers and and get back to a healthier a healthier kind of lifestyle. Yeah, I mean we know that. I mean I think it's easy to get caught up. I did personally in June. Hey, we're kind of getting back to normal. It's going to be business as usual. 
everything's fine. And then with this spread, really the reality hit for me, both personally and in the role of a trustee, is this thing is going to be here for a while. And we just have to deal with the reality mm -hmm. of that and move forward. And um, so I think part of it is accepting reality. But we've got a great strategic plan. We've got a great administration, great parents and staff and teachers. And I think with teamwork, I think we can we can plow through this yeah. year safe. Absolutely. And I've heard that students are doing a phenomenal job with with the masks. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I know they're happy to be back in classroom with their peers and their teachers. I want to thank you both for taking the time to catch us up on where things are at the start of the school year. We may want to catch up with you at the end of the year or right. along the way. Yeah, That'd be great. Thank, thank you, you, Kevin. Thank you. Again, you are hearing from Boise School Trustees Maria Greeley and Andy Haas. That's going to wrap it up for the podcast this week. It has been a full week here at Idaho Education News. A lot to catch up on. If you haven't already been reading us on the website, here's some stuff to look for. Lieutenant Governor Janice McGeehan's task force held its final meeting on Thursday. They heard from the public. They made some recommendations. Blake Jones headed our coverage and has a full story on that meeting. Nick String has been pulling some long hours the, these past few days. He's been keeping an eye on what's happening in the West Ada School District. Trustees there decided to require masks in school, but also allowed parents to opt out. He explains how that has been playing out in the state's largest school district. Devin Bodkin was in Pocatello this week for the State Board of Education meeting. He has coverage of that. I have an analysis piece looking at Governor Brad Little's plan to spend $30 million of federal coronavirus aid to do COVID-19 testing in the schools. How is that going to work? What kind of data are we going to get or maybe not get from all of those tests? I explain that to you. So follow us at idahoednews.org for all of those stories and keep an eye on us next week because we'll have plenty more news uh, on education policy and education politics. And follow us on Twitter at idahoednews. We tweet out our links and any bulletins on breaking news. Follow us on Facebook and join the conversation there. And come back next Friday for another edition of this podcast. Until then, I'm Kevin Richard. Have a good weekend and stay safe.